this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road. My name is Randy, and I'm the uh, preaching minister here at the church. And uh, we're going to start a, a three-part series on fear. And um, I would really recommend for your library an excellent book uh, by an author named Ed Welch, who has written Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. And uh, it's been a great resource for me in my library for this series, and it's just good for my soul as well. So I want to uh, offer that to, to you all. Ed Welch, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. And there's another book I'd recommend, and it is the book of Psalms. And we're going to look at Psalm 34 today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. It's on page 396 of your church Bibles. And while you turn there, um, I, uh, church family, I'm so grateful to, I'm so grateful for our, uh, our elder leadership team. We have such a strong uh, elder leadership team and deacon team, as you saw last week uh, at uh, our elder ordination and prayer service. And I'm so grateful for them, and I'm particularly grateful for uh, Kevin Jackson, one of our elders who taught uh, last week here at the pulpit. And uh, uh, so thankful that we have a deep teaching bench, and we do, and God's good. And so uh, I wanted to thank Kevin for, uh, for being God's uh, voice last week from the pulpit. Um, while you're turning to Psalm 34 as well, I want to remind you that next week we're going to be having a special offering over and above a regular giving to assist those in our church family that are pursuing international adoptions. And you can read more about that in uh, your church bulletin. And I'd ask you to pray about how you can support this. So Psalm 34 is where we are today. And... Um, You can uh, read it uh, in your Bibles or the church Bible on page 396 or it's up on the screen. Psalm 34 begins, Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Verse 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life, And desires to see many good days. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous man may have many troubles, 
but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for these uh, encouraging words. Feed our soul this morning with them. This is our bread. Your word is our food. And your word is our life. Lord, open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things written in your word. To the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, recently the Wall Street Journal had an article titled, Conquering Fear. Conquering Fear. And in it, uh, the journalist who uh, wrote the article gave uh, the opening lines. This was the opening line. to this was, this was the opener. Here it is. The boss loves your work. Your spouse thinks you're sexy. The kids and even the cat shower you with affection. But then there's the voice. The nagging presence in your head that tells you you're a homely, heartless slacker. Even people who appear supremely fit, highly successful, and hyper-organized are sometimes riddled with debilitating doubts and fears. Outwardly, we project, I've got it handled, everything's all together, but inwardly, we struggle. Inwardly, we're afraid. We're afraid. Anybody here like that? We're the, we're, the, we're the wealthiest nation on earth. We're the, we're the world's only superpower. And yet, citizens of the United States struggle with fear. Fear of what? You name it. You name it. Right? I mean, 10 years ago, we kicked off the millennium terrified of Y2K. Right? And then we got uh, obsessed over uh, cell phones and tumors. And then we got to shaking in our boots over, you know, the bird flu, and then the swine flu, and then, and then the mad cow disease, and then we got really afraid over asteroid collisions, and we just are afraid. And we've been afraid since 9-11 of another terrorist attack. We fear for safety. We, we're, fear, we're afraid of dying. Fear of death, fear, or fear of how you might die. Is it going to be a slow, painful, debilitating disease? Will it be Alzheimer's? Will I die alone? Die broke? Then there's the fear of being forgotten, or the fear of being judged or misjudged. Or some of us, are we fear solitude. We fear quiet. This is why we always got to have the radio on or the iPod on or something. We fear living a meaningless life. We fear rejection, criticism. We fear embarrassment. We fear being unloved, or, or, or we fear being in love, but then being hurt. We're afraid of not getting a job, or not getting that job, or 
once we get that job, we're afraid of losing that job, which means we might lose income, which means we might lose our retirement, which means we might lose our home. We, we fear for our health. We fear for our figure. We fear for our faith. Will I lose my faith? Some of us fear the gray, cloudy, oppressive season of winter. Some of us are afraid for our children. We're, we're afraid of making parenting mistakes. And so, you know, we, we don't want to put our child in the wrong preschool or we don't want to put our child in the wrong high school or the wrong college or, or, or we're afraid that they might be damaged for life. With all of these fears, the smorgasbord of fear, all-you-can-eat fear, it just feels like that fear becomes this background noise in our lives, and it's just, the, it's just like everyday life. We, we watch the news, we read the papers, we take in a few episodes of Fear Factor, and pretty soon these fears become the lenses through which we see life. And, and pretty soon we allow these Fears to drive our lives. Work, home, the neighborhood, and, and fear likes to do that. Fear likes to be in control. Fear is bossy, isn't it? It wants to drive. You sit in the back seat, fear says. I'll take charge. I'll drive. And fear wants relief now. Fear is impatient. It wants what it wants, when it wants it, right now. And if it doesn't see a fast fix, it moves on. Ed Welch, whom I referred to earlier, wrote, fear tried God, but God didn't work. So you see, church, it's not enough to simply ask the question, what are you afraid of? Uh, We know that answer. The deeper question, the harder question, the more challenging question is this. What are my fears saying? What are they saying? What are they saying to you right now? What are they saying about you right now? And by the way, sometimes fear says things that are just flat dangerous for you, and you better pay attention, which is why almost every year about a half a dozen Overzealous photographers toppled into the Grand Canyon. They weren't paying attention. But other times, fear, with frightening accuracy, can identify the idols and false gods in our lives. I'm thinking of the fear of losing money. Well, that can reveal what I believe about money. I'm thinking about the fear of losing power that can reveal an inordinate and dysfunctional dependence on control and power. I'm thinking about the fear of of wanting to be right, and that can lead to someone who's very defensive and confrontational. I'm thinking of the fear of being rejected and how that can lead to, you know, me being a people pleaser, huh? Like, like a full body scanner at the airport, fear inspects our hearts with questions like, Randy, what do you love most? Randy, wh- what do you trust most? Randy, what's first in your life? Huh? What is that? 
Well, the psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 34, is a psalm about fear. And it is about a time of fear in the life of King David. Now, as we look through this psalm this morning, first of all, I want us to see the story behind the psalm. Why was this psalm written? I want you to hear that story. It's a good one. Secondly, then, I want you to hear what David learned about fear, and specifically about fighting fear and defeating fear. How do you do that? How do you fight fear? How do you defeat fear? And then thirdly, I want us to see how this lesson might look in our lives, all right? So that's where we're going, all right? Well, why was this psalm written? What's the lesson? And then what does the lesson look like in our lives? Well, well, the answer to the first question, what's the story behind this psalm, is really, before we even get to the first verse, uh, it says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. Now, that was originally part of the psalm. That wasn't added by translators later. That was just as much part of David's psalm. And that's why he wrote the psalm. That's, that's 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 to 15. And I'll just tell you about that story. You can look it up and read it later. But it was about a time when David was a fugitive of King Saul. And, and Saul's days as king were numbered. God had already given him his pink slip and God had already told Saul, someone else is going to take your place. And, and that someone turned out to be David. And Saul was, was very jealous about David and the success that God had given him. And Saul wanted David dead. And at first, they were just little subtle things. But later on, Saul put out a contract on David's life. I mean, David was a fugitive, and he was on the run, and so David slipped across the border to Philistia, the land of the Philistines. Well, you know what happened in David's life. I mean, he cut Goliath's head off. Goliath was a Philistine. So David goes to Philistia. You think he's not going to be recognized? Yeah, he was. This is the guy who killed Goliath. Get him! So he's in the court of a Philistine king, Abimelech. And he's right there. And, and now David's in a tight spot, right? You killed our hero, and now you're on our turf. What are you going to do? What is he going to do? Well, 1 Samuel 21 tells about how David feigned insanity, all right? He starts making strange marks on the doors of the gate. He starts drooling. I'll not demonstrate. He starts acting crazy here, you know, right there in front of the court. He just goes, it's crazy. And Abimelech, Abimelech looks at this. This guy killed Goliath. This guy's an idiot. I got enough idiots in my courtroom. Get him out of here. So David, they took him out, but David escaped. And after his brush with death, David decided, I just need to survive in Israel. I'm going to lay low until Saul dies. God, God has promised me the kingdom. He's promised me to be king. I need to trust that. And so, and so word got out where David was, and people began to trickle in. And pretty soon, he had 400 followers. These were 400 men, and we're not even counting the women and the children. So... So now, now he had a problem because the very size, the sheer size of the group made detection a possibility. 
And by the way, how do you feed 1,500 people? How do you feed all the men and women and children, see? And now David's kind of, uh, I mean, he doesn't have any food, he doesn't have any flocks, no herds. He's got over 1,000 folks. How's he going to take care of them, you know? Fears begin to mount. The pressure's on. And perhaps it happened one night as David was feeling the pressure of leadership. And leadership is a different kind of sleep. The pressure not only of David's own life, but now the lives of the people who are following him. He's responsible for them. And and in, in the face of these fears, he just begins to pour out his fears to God. He just begins to pour them out. And perhaps there in the distant night, David hears the roar of a lion. And with that roar, with that roar, God spoke to David's heart and it assured David that God would be good to him, that God's goodness would come on his life, that, that lions may grow weary, the fiercest predators may lack, but David, you're not going to lack. You will not lack my goodness. And with that conviction settled in his spirit, David David writes this song, this song for his followers, for God's people concerning fear. And this is what's so beautiful about the Psalms because, you know, we hear people say, well, you just need to stuff your emotions, you know, and don't let them, don't let them bother you. Then we hear people say, you need to vent your emotions and, and just vomit your emotions, just get it all out. The Bible takes neither of those approaches The Bible says, don't stuff your uh, uh, emotions. Don't vent your emotions. Instead, pray your emotions. Pray pray your emotions to God. And so we hear Psalm 34. Now, just let me tell you something about this psalm. It's 22 verses, and these 22 verses correspond with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters in it. And so it's an acrostic all right? Uh, if it were written in English, it would be like, you know, verse 1, A, always God is good. Verse 2, B, before you call, he will answer. C, come and see that the Lord is good, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, now, why was it written this way? Well, well, it's easier to teach. That's why. It's easier to remember. And then secondly, though, it's written this way as a way of saying, look, what you're about to sing is the A to Z on fighting fear, okay? The A to Z on fighting fear. So what do we need to learn about fighting fear? How do we fight the fears in our lives? Well, let's just work through this psalm, verses one through three. David invites God's people to join him in worshiping God. David says, I will extol the Lord at all times, but he says, you know, join me in this, verse three. Let us exalt his name together. This is not just for me, let's all do this. And why? Verses four through seven. Because God comes through, that's why. 
God rescues us. God protects us. God delivers us. God delivers us from the Abimelechs and the Sauls of life. And God is the only one who can help us in our fears. David says, this poor man called. He's talking about himself. This poor man called. And the Lord heard him. And and David insists, though, it's not just my experience. It's not just for me, it's for all of us. The, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So you, this was my experience. This could be yours too. And, and like Moses coming down Mount Sinai and his face was radiant from the glory of the Lord. Why those who look to him, verse 5, are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. Taste, that's why he says in verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that word taste, it's really interesting because it's a little play on words and the English doesn't bring that out. But in this brief summary, just before we get to verse 1, when it says when he pretended to be insane, literally, literally, word for word, it says when David changed his taste before Abimelech, you see. So now we have this in verse 8. Taste and seize. Nice little play on words where David says, you know, you try this yourself. This is not just for me. It's not just for kings or pastors or theologians or religious people. It's for God's people. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you, when you think about your fears, think about God. He's good. God is committed to his goodness in your life. Now, he's not committed to your comfort. He's committed to his goodness. And that no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens, God promises to give his goodness to you. He promises that with one condition. There's one condition. There's one necessity, one ingredient, one factor that will defeat fear. You want to fight fear? You want to defeat fear? You need one thing. Here it is. David learned that the way to fight fear, and I'm talking about the fears that pester us, the fears that paralyze us. What's paralyzing you today? The fears that are impairing spiritual growth and progress in your life. The way to fight fear is, David says, is with fear. Fight fear with fear. Verse 9. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. Fight fear with fear. The fear of the Lord Now, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. Did you expect that? Did you expect David to say that? I didn't. I I expected David to say in verse 9, Stop it! Quit! Right now! Which is about as helpful as it would be if I stood up at Celebrate Recovery on Friday night and said to everyone with their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, hey, stop it. Just quit. You quit it. Right now. I mean it. 
a, the try harder sermon. <laughs> I, I know how to preach that sermon. Dave King's laughing at me because he's known me for 21 years. Hey, no, I mean, he's, he's heard my, he's heard, uh, I, I can preach a try harder sermon. I know that one. And I can alliterate it and across it and, and I can put icing on it and it smells great, but it's just as good as cotton candy. It's terrible. It'll make you sick. Okay? That's not what David says, though. He does not say that. David says that if you really want to defeat fear in your life, you do so by learning to fear someone who so dominates your life that all the other fears are trivial and tiny. You see, David had learned here through this psalm that that he was being led around on the leash by by some Lilliputian-sized fears. That's what he learned. And I'm not so sure that when we go back to 1 Samuel 21, 10 to 15, I don't think the lesson to that is, is now, when you're in a tight spot before an enemy of God, start drooling. I don't think that's the lesson there. The lesson may be this. David, I have promised that you are the anointed king of Israel. You're going to be the next king. Why are you in Philistia? What are you doing there? Huh? You look kind of silly with spittle hanging down your beard, by the way. You know, that, that may be the lesson. David learned that he was being led around on the leash by some Lilliputian-sized fears. And what David discovered was that there was a bigger fear that he needed in his life. See, see, we want to dislodge fear, but the message of Psalm 34 is not get rid of fear in your life. The message of Psalm 34 is you need, you need more fear. You need a better fear. You need a bigger fear. You need a more beautiful fear, a more splendid fear, a more amazing fear. You need a more divine fear. You need the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a better fear because it topples all other fears and it puts in place what is most important because you see the whatever's most important in your life is going to rule your life and drive your life and lead your life and be sovereign over your life whatever is most important. And that's why David says, those who fear him, they lack nothing. Those who fear the Lord are fearless. So the message is clear, isn't it? Fight fear with fear. The fear of the Lord. Now before I pray, and before I go into communion it might be a good idea to ask the question, well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? (laughs) Anybody wondering that? I hope so. (laughs) So what is the fear of the Lord, right? That the fear of the Lord is not so much this terror-stricken emotional feeling as much as it is a way of life. The, the, The fear of the Lord is not so much an emotion as it is a skill a skill, a life of trust, a life that I learn to live. The fear of the Lord is something we learn. Verse 11, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It has to be taught. You have to learn it. It's learned. 
And so the fear of the Lord shows up in my life whenever I open my mouth. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from lying. See, why, why do we often gossip or lie or because we're afraid. You know, we're put on the spot and we don't want to feel dumb. We don't want to feel embarrassed. We don't want to have to, you know, our inner lawyer is working for us and defending us and out comes untruth. David says, the fear of the Lord shows up when I open my mouth and truth comes out. The fear of the Lord shows up in my relationships. Verse 14, seek peace and pursue it. The fear of the Lord shows up when I am committed to God's way even at personal cost, even in the face of evil, even when it leaves me brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Isn't that what we read in verses 15 through 18? Verse 19 says, a righteous man may have many troubles. So the fear of the Lord does not shield me from trouble, it shields me for trouble. God promises when you fight your fears with the Lord's fear, I will honor you. And it may seem like for a time you've lost it all, but those who fear the Lord, he will honor them. So fight fear with fear, a better fear, a bigger fear, a more beautiful fear, the Lord's fear. Fight fear with fear, that's David's message. And still, church, I, 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 I still, I read this and I know what it says. I studied it and yet this nagging question surfaces. Well, what if I still feel afraid after God has told me not to be afraid? You know, is that a sin? Well, perhaps. But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. You know, there is a way of saying fear not that makes God out to be this dictator who demands that We do something he knows we can't, like making bricks without straw. And then there's a way of saying fear not where we hear God speaking as a loving, heavenly father. And I think that's where Jesus was in Luke 12, 32, when he said, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the the one who is over the kingdom, the sovereign king who has issued the command, fear not. He is also our generous, loving, heavenly Father who absolutely delights, I mean delights, it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So so the issue isn't so much whether or not we feel fear. The Bible assumes that we will. The question is this. When I feel fear, what's the quality of my fear? Where do I go? To whom do I turn? Is it a Lilliputian-sized fear? Or is it a majestic, Christ-saturated, cross-driven resurrection promised fearless kind of fear fight fear with fear that's the word i this is just this was so real to me uh just this week um um sarah and i got back from a week of uh vacation and you know 
here's how preachers think. Um, Preachers typically don't leave on vacation on a Saturday because then they get back on Saturday and Sunday's hitting them, right? Okay, so that's not the way we think. What we think is we're gonna leave on Monday or Tuesday and then come back and then we have margin for us, right? So that was the plan. That's, that's always been my plan. So, so uh, we left from Tuesday. We went down for some warm weather and uh, stayed with Gene and Jerry and uh, it was just a wonderful, relaxing restful time, and I needed it, because the clouds get me down. Sunshine is good for my heart. So we were supposed to come back Tuesday, and uh, leave Tuesday morning, get back Tuesday night, and I got Wednesday through Saturday to be ready for us. And so then, Atlanta had this ice storm, okay? I found out they have 11 snow plows in Atlanta, that's all they have. <laughs> so flights were all canceled Monday, and flights were all canceled Tuesday when we were supposed to leave. I get on the phone to reschedule, and the person on the phone says, the earliest we can get you out, Mr. Boltinghouse, is Wednesday night. Wednesday night? When, when do I leave? Eight o'clock. You leave Fort Myers at eight o'clock, and... Uh, you know, you, you're supposed to land into Bloomington uh, at 11. Okay. All right. So we get to the airport Wednesday night. All right. Get there. Check in our luggage. There's a long line. People do not look happy at all. <laughs> our flight from Fort Myers has been delayed over an hour, which means I might miss my connection to Bloomington. And the might became definite when I got to the counter. She just said to me, you're not going to make your connection to Bloomington, uh, so you're going to have to stay the night in Atlanta. And, uh, uh, but we've got a voucher for you uh, to stay in a hotel. It's going to be at our expense. And so I got the voucher. I looked at the price that the airline pays for the room. It said $45. And I was thinking, okay. <laughs> All right, this is a queen-size cotton cinder block room. Okay, thank you. This is great. Uh, so, and, and it was like, oh, what am I going to do here? I mean, I'm beginning to really feel kind of the, 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 the pressure. I started to feel the fear that I wouldn't make it back in time to finish my sermon on how you're not supposed to fear. And, <laughs> and it's like the Holy Spirit said, Randy, um, God's God, you're not, so just trust him. I mean, just, and, and just, no, act, wait a minute, act like you trust that God is sovereign, even if you don't feel like it, okay? And notify your mouth, <laughs> so that whatever comes out of your mouth sounds like you believe there is a God and he's sovereign, okay? That was really the word there. And because I was strategizing and thinking, well, if we could just get to Chicago and maybe take a shuttle from there, and I would just, and I made some phone calls to try to figure out and scheme and how that could work, and it just wasn't happening. It was like, okay, just, all right, okay, okay. We're going to spend the night in Atlanta. <laughs> and so while we were still in Florida, I looked to the lady at the counter, and after she was finished with us, I I said, you guys are under a lot of pressure, aren't you? And she says, yeah, we are. 
I said, you know, you're doing a good job. It's just stay the course. Everything's going to be okay. And she just, that, just that little touch just lifted her. I mean, it radiated her face. And so, so it didn't get me out of my cot, but I just... <laughs> So I called Nancy Anderson, our office manager, to tell her, I'm not going to be in until, you know, I'm just going to lose a whole other day because I'm going to need to catch up with everybody, and so it, it'll just work out. So, so, uh, so we left uh, Fort Myers. We landed in Atlanta. We, in, we ended up landing at 11 o'clock in Atlanta, and, you know, the plane was to take off at 10.20, so oh, I missed this thing by 45. And so, so we were walking out of the gate and trying to look for the transport to take us to the Ritz. And <laughs> so we, we leave the gate, and I'm walking. I'm still in the terminal. I happen to, it's 11 o'clock. I happen to glance up at this departure screen to see, well, when did that flight leave? And it was 11 o'clock, and the schedule said, departs at 11.07. I said, Sarah, look. <laughs> And the gate is like, it's just right up there. <laughs> yeah. So we go to the gate, and, and, and we're the only one at the gate. And, there's the, there, and there was an employee that was there. I said, sir. I said, here's my boarding. I said, can you, can you get us on board? Is there any way? The, the, the plane hasn't left. Is there any way? You get? He said, if you leave right now, if you walk through these doors right now, I'll get you on board that plane. And so we got on board that plane. And, and he said, don't ask me about your luggage because I can't promise that. <laughs> so we got to Bloomington. I went to go get the car, swung it by, pick up Sarah, and she had our luggage with us too. Huh? God is good. <laughs> right? Isn't he? It's a nice gift. Thank you, Lord. And he would have been no less good if we'd had to walk back. Because some of you have missed those kinds of flights. And some of you are still walking. And God is still good. And it was all you could do to walk here today. You don't want to hear another try harder sermon on fear, but you've come here with really good news. <laughs> you know? And the good news is we just need a bigger fear. A better fear. A fear. A fear that puts the Lilliputian sized fears in their place. And a fear. A fear that stares evil in the face. Verse 20 says, He protects his bones, not one of them are broken. In, in that day, if you wanted to dishonor someone, the ultimate dis. The ultimate diss was this. As they were dying, to add insult to injury, you would snap their bones as you watched them die in greater agony. On the cross, they did not break Jesus' bones. He had already died. That is to say, he died with the honor of God. He died with the honor of God. He did walk. He walked with the cross on his back straight into that tomb. Our trailblazer, 
Jesus, who was protected not from danger, but for danger. His crucifixion paid for our sins, our habits, our hang-ups, and God honored him not merely by unbroken bones, but by raising those bones in resurrection, never to die again. Hebrews 5, 7 says, Jesus' cries and prayers were heard because of his godly fear. And so God promises to do For us, what he did for Jesus, if we will honor him. Can you let that settle in your heart? Can you? Can the fear of God and all of the goodness that comes with it, will you let it rest on you? Church, what are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of? What Lilliputian-sized fear is it? Is it failure? Poverty? Loneliness? Unemployment? Sickness? Death? Oh, you need, what we have to offer here is a better fear, a bigger fear, the fear of the Lord. Fight fear with fear. Come and listen. Come and listen. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Those who fear God lack nothing. Taste and see. The Lord is good.